So about that, about that mug, about that mug, I think we need to have an intervention. Uh-huh. Caleb, thank you for sending the mug. Thank you very much for all the candy. So the thing is, I went this morning actually because it was dirty. I was I was going to put it in the dishwasher, but there was a label on the bottom and it was, you know, one of those little paper labels that has like a barcode or whatever on it. Uh-huh. And so I'm scraping that off because you know how they don't like to come off neatly or cleanly. And beneath it, I realize that it says, and I am cringing as I say this, but it says made in China. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't find any ceramic cups from any print company that wasn't going to print it on a made in China ceramic. So I looked. Hey, this here's the thing. What Caleb is doing <laughs> is not having uh, cultural appropriation. I was half expecting you to whip them up, whip some of them up on like your your pottery wheel, and then ship them off to have a screen printer apply the graphic. I don't have a pottery wheel. I have only attempted pottery once in my life, and it didn't work out well. So I we found something Caleb doesn't do. Yes, pottery is something I do not do. Welcome to the Beerly Saved Podcast, where we have the discussions real Christians don't have. Here's your hosts. I'm Caleb. I'm Lindsay. I'm Rebecca. I'm Mike. And I'm Nathan. And Matt's here. We can't hear Matt. I don't know what happened to Matt. Matt, can you hear us? Oh yeah, he said he had a phone call. Okay, so Matt will show up at some point. So, the the news have been eventful this week. Um... We, we will be addressing that, but first, we have somebody new here for the first time. Um, he looks like a forest right now. I don't see any faces, but we have Nate. Ah, there he is. So, Nate, do you want to introduce yourself to the podcast world? Well, it depends on what you mean by introduce myself. That is that is fair. You could just call me Rebecca's husband. Okay, so Rebecca's husband, do you, do you want to tell anybody anything about yourself? Any credentials as to why you should be talking to us today? Oh, I'm a lay person, and and I have some opinions. Okay. And he's brilliant. Oh, am I? Well, thanks. I do have a an undergraduate degree from Central. Well, are, do we say locations? <laughs> I have an undergraduate degree. It's actually in studio art and um, minor. Keep working. My minor is in uh, basically an honors minor, which was an, a great books program, which was a survey program. We went through many, many years of history of literature and critical thoughts and argumentation and things like that. So I enjoy good discourse. Cool. So we brought Nate on because, you know, Rebecca asked us if we if he could come on this week because he has some um, thoughts about the events of the week. He followed he followed the events of the week even more closely than I did, so it was a fitting week for him to come on. And he's off on paternity leave, so he's available. Before we truly get started, I I just have to say one of my first memories of Nate is seeing him in church because we all lived in this, uh, the three of us lived in the same town at one point. And I remember vividly being like, that is a beautiful man with a beautiful hat. And I want that hat. Wait, are you telling me that he had a hat on in church? Yeah, oh, this heretic had a hat on in church. Every week. Have you not read 1 Corinthians 11, sir? 
Are you a Christian or not? I don't like labels. Seeing Nate with a hat on in church was one of the single most validating moments in my entire co collegiate Christian career. I don't think that's where we want to start quoting from unless we're going to go down a, like a, a rabbit hole with Rebecca and I being hosts on this podcast. So, Oh, we'll go. We'll go. We've been down that hole actually before. So we can go right there. And Nate. Well, it's fine that you guys are on here because the men are actually in charge. You guys are here. We, we allow you to teach. We give permission. But see, that's not even okay, though, because if we're teaching any guys are listening to this podcast, then Rebecca and I are clearly living in sin, so... Don't you know, don't you know there are two podcasts, one specifically for women and one for... Yeah, Caleb actually publishes this one, you know, in a secondary... Or publishes one in a secondary location for the women. This is the Barely Saved podcast. It's for women. Then there's the Fully Saved podcast. That's for men. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an expert, but I think that that's sexist. And by the way, Matt hasn't heard the conversation up to this point, so... No, nope, just jumping in, and I'm definitely sure that Mike is a heretic. Well, Matt, so what you missed is that apparently Nate used to wear a hat into church. No, not used to. He still does. Oh, he wears hats in church. And I asked him if he's ever read 1 Corinthians 11. And he hasn't? Thank you. Nate, can you read? Now, this, this podcast, there was some truth to what Mike said. This podcast used to be overwhelmingly females listened to it, which was weird that it used to be 90% women, but now we're at only 52% are women and 46% are men and 2% are non-specified. So, like, it has equalized out a bit versus, like, the first couple of weeks. There are unspecified people listening? No, it's just people who didn't tell Apple or Spotify what their gender is. I think that's me. Because I don't, I don't download via Apple. Matt, you are part of the 8% that use Overcast because we're ordinary people that know the better podcasting apps. I just use Spotify. I just use Apple Podcasts. Lindsay, this is why you should get an iPhone. I have Pocket Casts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's funny. Overcast is a million times better. Isn't that a weather style yes yes it is a weather style that's just the pacific northwest <laughs> all year round <laughs> not in our not in our area that's because you're in the north you're in the northwest not the pacific northwest oh good distinction matt mm. can you see the ocean if you drive for an hour nope nope hour and a half no you can't an hour and a half to see the ocean i mean unless you drive really fast how fast are you driving you're not on the pacific okay maybe not the ocean but the puget sound that's not an ocean anyways so we have nate on here and then all of us that are normally on here or semi-normally on here um because there's been some uh pretty big news in the last week this comes out on monday so it will have been uh, five days since the insurrection on our nation's capital, which is fun. But before we uh, get into that, before we get into discussions about power and discussions of, about that uh, little uh, happening, we are going to do our Did You Know? So the uh, Missouri Department of Conservation approves bear hunting for 2021. Okay, hold on. I can see the problems with this already. Because I read The Most Dangerous Game, and I don't think that bears can successfully hunt us. So for the record, I am opposed <laughs> to bears hunting humans. Touche, Matt. Touche. 
Fun fact, A Dangerous Game was my favorite book that I read in high school. I too am opposed to bears hunting humans, I have to say. That's a short that's a short story, Mike, but yeah. Sure, sure. Okay, whatever. It was my favorite that I read. I thought it was magnificent. It's so good, man. You don't know what's going on until the until you're like, wait. They're doing what? It was like my first graduation from like young adult dystopian, you know, Hunger Games to like a psychological thriller. <laughs> Real dystopian. Yeah, where I was like, holy. Is it a dangerous game or is it most dangerous game? Because you think that the game is dangerous. Okay, so wait, why were bear, why was bear hunting outlawed in the first place? Because there weren't any bears. In Missouri. We killed them all. Were they over, were, is that why they were, uh, why it was originally banned? Oh yeah, I mean, we, we killed almost all of them in the 1800s. Like, th- there were virtually no black bears in Missouri. That's because bear tastes delicious. Is that why we killed them? Why, because they taste delicious? Because they were black. No, because they were black. <laughs> Did you get really sketchy diseases from bears now? <laughs> Matt, there might be some truth to that. We might have killed all of the black bears because they're black. Oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> me and Mike talked over each other, so Lindsay didn't actually hear what we said. <laughs> they used to be like native in Arizona. Like they had a huge rain black bears yeah i mean you can basically find them anywhere in the u.s if they're not killed like like downtown st paul yeah i'm i'm guessing this doesn't mean in like springfield listen if there is a place where the bears need to hunt people it's springfield oh snap (laughs) (laughs) okay so have they specified methodology or limitations on methods of hunting. The hunting season will be restricted to Missouri residents only and will begin on the third Monday in October and run for 10 days. Is it archery? Is it muzzleloader? Can you use bait? Or can you like, what's the, can you use hounds? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with fake news here. Ooh, let's hear the alternate facts. I mean, it's, 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 it's straight from the Missouri Department of Conservation's website, but okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just because it's actually cited doesn't mean it's not fake news, Caleb. Clearly anything I don't like is fake news. No, no, no. This isn't, this, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's cited. It is from a .gov, so. That doesn't matter. That can still be fake news. I don't like it. Listen, uh, I don't know if you know this, but the president is part of the .gov and therefore. That's awesome. That's weirdly true. Only on public or private property within the BMZ. Bear management zones. Yes. Interesting. Pretty much it's all of everything south of the Missouri River, if you look at the little map. Which, okay, so this doesn't surprise me again, because when, even though, like, we hunted them almost to extinction, if you don't hunt them... (laughs) Why is Rebecca upside down? Okay. (laughs) If you don't don't hunt them for, you know, a a certain amount of time, for a long amount of time, like, the the populations are going to come back. And as we know, this is the unofficial bear podcast, and we have already established that bears are the pro- bears are the thing that are going to overthrow us. We know it's not AI; it's the bears. They've got the paws. They've got the ability to break into things. Lindsay already knows that they're not actually uh, affected by bear spray; they're immune to it, unlike humans. Um, that's a lie. We we went over this in a previous podcast. Uh, but we know that bears are the problem, so we do have to keep them in check. Right, and when they when they take over, they already are, like, the right form factor to, like, just use our things. Right, especially black bears. They're the right size. Like, they'll just break into our houses, 
and they'll just start like they'll wear our clothes start running our factories they'll start just doing all the things their claws were small enough to fit into trigger guards that's right okay so question and i have something to point out with this question it says it says and i quote um hunters will be allowed to use both archery and firearms equipment with allowable methods being the same as those for elk and deer or deer and elk rather except the use of an atlatl baiting and the use of dogs will not be allowed why can't you use an atlatl against a bear but you can use it against deer and elk somebody explain that to me what's an at a what it helps you throw a spear further it's like a it's like an extension of the throwing mechanism for a spear Explain why you can't use one of those, but you can be an archer and... Why are we hunting elk in Minnesota, in, in Missouri? There's only like 200. There's elk in Missouri. Like 200 of them. I, I have to say, though, if I'm going to hunt a bear, I don't want to have to be close enough to use a spear. <laughs> Man, there we go. Okay. Because <laughs> if you don't tell people they can't, they will. <laughs> that's that's what it is. They don't want people getting close enough to be gored. It's a helmet law for bears. Except here's the thing is that baiting, having an actual bear, having a bait thing in like a tree stand is like the safest way to hunt bear because like hounds is kind of inhumane and scares the animal at this point. You know, we, we know that that's not great and it is not great for the dogs if they get on the wrong side of the bear. Baiting is actually the mo- like the safest, I would say, and the most humane for both bear and human because you get a clearer shot. It's a really weird use of the hum- human word cognate to say that we're treating bears humanely as we kill them. We are treating them humanly, at least. I'm just saying if you're going to hunt an animal, like there are more helpful ways and like if you want to get a good shot so you get a kill shot right away and the animal's not wounded and runs away hurt like there are better methods and ways to do that and so the fact that like i would argue that baiting is probably like the 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 safest way to get a good clean shot especially on an animal like a bear but if you're baiting then it's not hunting it's a distinction it's not a hunt anymore yes it is then it's basically trapping no, you're not. You're not hunting because you know they're going to come, right? That'd be like... can't. You have to prove you're a man. You have to find the location. You have to maintain the bait. Like, there's there's a lot of work that goes into it. Like, yeah, that's not hunting. This, it's work, but it's not a hunt. They could always do what they're doing in Texas with hogs and just fly people up in helicopters and just... Blah, 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 blah. Rambo them things. I don't know. Hogs are way scarier than bears in a lot of ways. As as to the whole elk thing in in Missouri, there are enough elk now that they might do a hunting season. I just Google searched it. They've not decided whether or not they will. Sure, but they're not there yet. Well, they might be. They might ha- they might ha- be have enough now. When I visited Missouri, it was easier to find elk than a decent cup of coffee. <laughs> it still is. <laughs> I also put the most dangerous game in the, uh, yeah. Is it in the show notes? Yes. Okay, good. If you haven't read it, you really should because, um, like, again, whenever you're, like, 10th grade Matt reading uh, about a game, you think that it's about a game. It's like the lottery. Right. It's the most dangerous game. Like, it's like chess. This is a dangerous game. And that's what you're kind of led to believe at the very beginning. It it shifts. 
at the very beginning? Is that what I just heard? At the at the the very beginning. I've not read this dangerous game, but I'm gonna. Oh, you gotta read it. It's good, man. It's one of those things that like you don't realize was formative in your uh, your education years, but it definitely was mine. It, it was it was totally formative formative in my my education. It was like the the. F- you could say formulative, but that's wrong. Whatever. No, it is. It is the formula he lives his life by. Y equals MX plus B. People are terrible. Rich man equals take advantage of poor people equals hunting them. You mean America? Exactly. Are we, are we, are we ready to move on to talk about power? Power or power? We're going to talk about power. So, Mike, I think that living in Spokane, power is something very important to you. Um, and maybe I'm misunderstanding what Caleb's talking about, but um, is it made mainly wind power or solar power in the, the eastern part of Washington? See, I'm afraid to utter any of those phrases because it might be true, but if I utter those phrases, I'm pretty sure the conservative uh, Gestapo will bust down my door and arrest me. And, and pretty sure it's actually uh, hydroelectric power. Caleb, is this what you wanted to talk about? I think that that is a really important conversation to talk about, Matt, because China was going to build a nuclear power plant, but the Trump administration blocked it, a new design for a nuclear power plant that would cool using air instead of water, so it wouldn't have the risk of a meltdown. But the Trump administration stopped it. So, you know, as an environmental factor, it's probably really important to talk about these things. Uh, but that's uh, not quite what I was thinking of. So for the record, uh, Nate is 120% correct. There's actually a 10 megawatt turbine on the Spokane Falls. Oh, oh, that's, I've freaking been there. That's right. <laughs> I've I've walked I've walked right next to it. Nate gets five points. Five points for Gryffindor. But that is that is not the kind of uh, power that I was thinking of, uh, Matt. You're talking about white power? Yes, white power. That's part of it. What about cat power? This week we saw a uh, display of power in our nation's capital. Horsepower. <laughs> that was your first mistake. Is thinking I would try to hold. Yeah, it was by Antifa, right? Yeah. They're the worst, man. And this is when Lindsay starts whining. It was a 100% peaceful protest. Yep. Lindsay, I know these people too. Yep, in real life. Okay, fun fact. Um, did anybody watch all of Trump's remarks before the raid on the Capitol, basically? I, I saw some enough snippets of it that like it was on, on while I was doing other work. And I was like, this is not good. This is not good. But then I thought, surely the police line will hold, but... But it didn't. So uh, I, watched most, uh, I watched most of Trump's speech, but um, or listened, whatever, watched. What was also super interesting is the YouTube video that I went and watched like way after the fact is there were comments. I didn't want to listen to all four hours of the rally because of all of the speakers that they had because ain't nobody got time for that. But there were comments on the video that were like, you know, an hour and 16 minute mark like that this didn't age well there were multiple comments about that so i went to the hour and 16 minute mark i I think i think it was trump jr who or it was eric trump i can't 
I don't tell them apart by recognition. It was one of the Trump sons said, like, was making a big deal and a big show of saying, we are peaceful. Like this, look at, we can all gather together and not have riots and not have looting and not have, like, he was, like, boasting about the ability of the conservative Trump supporting rally to not be violent. They certainly have that ability. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. They just didn't have the well follow through. I don't know. It just was fascinating from that, you know, and knowing what was coming, knowing what was happening, going to happen in another like couple hours. Yeah. But that's assuming that they actually meant any of that to begin with. Right. Like it's the rhetoric of he's like, we can totally be peaceful, but we're telling you to fight. So we said just enough to sound like we actually care. But I mean, to be fair, this was this was young Trump before President Trump spoke. Their rhetoric's been this way for four years, six years. Oh, I know. I'm just saying, at least in that moment, you know. I mean, young Trump is, they're starting to sound like their dad more and more every time they speak. Yeah, I, d- I don't know which Trump it was, but it was... Did they have a, a beard? I believe so. Uh, I, think that's, I think that's Don Jr. Okay. Yeah, it's Don Jr. So, where were we going? All that we did was introduce that we're talking about power, and then we derailed. Okay, so I want to I want to take that quote that I said I wanted to remember. Yeah. So he said, um, and, and everyone's seen it or heard it, but I want to read it and then talk about it specifically, because uh, just because of how antichrist it is. Mm-hmm. We're going to walk down anyone you want, but I think right here, which is still confusing. Um, <laughs> That's how he talks. And we're... We're going to walk down to the Capitol. We're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. We're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. Right. And it's just this pure embodiment of everything antichrist. Like the idea that you show strength through your weakness, that you give of yourself so that others have like, and I know normally we're not talking a lot of news here, but I, I, these two are so inextricably linked where you see this call for strength, this call for power, this call for strongman um, diplomacy, mm-hmm. and it's internal. Like, <laughs> it's one thing for strongman diplomacy to be external, and we're trying to get someone else to do something. It, it becomes seditious when you're trying to get your own people to do something, and you're using the bully pulpit of your country to do those things. And again, it's just not Christ-like. There's no other way to describe it. Uh, well, I mean, there there are, but in, in relationship to Christ, there's no other way to describe it than Antichrist because that's not how Christ works. Like, he shows his strength in giving of himself. In dying, he wins. And that's not what Donald Trump was saying here. And that just, it hurts my heart because... So many people have bought into this lie that you have to be strong. Well, then you combine what Trump said with what, uh, what's his face, Mo Brooks said, you know, he's talking about like his rhetoric was the same kind of stuff. Um, they don't want you to trust your individual liberty and freedom to do what's best for yourself and your families. However, we're going to stop them. We have definitely had some setbacks with what happened in November. We've had some setbacks with what happened last night in Georgia, which are duly elected, not Republicans, Right. Um, but we are not going to let the socialists rip the heart out of our country. We are not going to let them continue to corrupt our elections and steal for our God-given right to control our nation's destiny. And then he started talking about at some point in the speech about kicking, kicking ass and taking names, right? How about the bullshit line of our God-given right 
to control our country. God gave you no such right. Mm-hmm. Thomas Jefferson did. But last time I checked, Thomas Jefferson wasn't God. Now, let me go check the history books, but I believe that's still the case. Today is a day of choose time of choosing and tomorrow is a time of fighting. That's what he said. Yeah. Or the people who at the Trump rally had their Joshua 24, 15 signs. And if I got the verse wrong, I apologize. Choose this day whom you will serve at the Trump rally. They're choosing whom they're going to serve. And it's quite apparent. And I want to throw bricks. But I don't because I love Jesus. So we flip tables instead. And braid whips. That's an option. But don't actually hit people with him because I don't think he did that. Right. No, we don't hit tables. We, we drive out the animals. Here's the thing, though, is that, um, I, Caleb, I think you said this at one point recently when people are like, oh, my gosh, this isn't America. And you said, no, that's, that's the whole thing is like, this is America. This has been our culture from its beginning is uh, we take things that we want through violence or through uh, insurrection or through whatever, like, and I, I think that extends to this idea of power and what Matt is talking about uh, from the standpoint of since the foundation of our, of the colonies, people coming here, it's been a power game. It's been a, can we exercise the power over the native peoples that we came into contact with? Like uh, it, going all the way back, this is something that has, has been so ingrained in our culture from inception that i don't know how we un uh i don't know how we untangle it at this point when when we're when we're so uh just blinded by that idea of strength being being like the ideal how do we do that i think that it starts with a recognition we we tell ourselves the story that we're a democracy that we're a republic and that's true because we believe the story. But when that story breaks down, what we really are comes out. What we really are is a nation built on mob violence and taking advantage of those that are weaker than us. That's the heart of the American system. And we tell ourselves a story of democracy, of diplomacy, of republicanism. But all that is is a story that we tell ourselves. And as soon as that story breaks down, we're ruled by mobs. And what we've seen over the past months is a systematic breaking down of that story where Donald Trump and Republicans in Washington have said, no, this is not, this is wrong. This is not democracy. And as soon as the veneer that this is a democracy breaks down, we have war. And and that's what we've seen. And that's why the Senate, I mean, let's be, let's be perfectly clear here. The Senate is the responsible branch of the Congress. They are the the older group. They have longer terms. They're more susceptible, so they're politically a little more savvy. The House has always been a, a cluster. So the 93 to 6 vote was good, for specifically for Arizona. But like Josh Hawley came out and was like, had this long diatribe about Pennsylvania in his Arizona comments. And you're just like, Josh... You're from Missouri. Our uh, The thing is, our elections are not national. And somehow or another, congressional representatives have missed that. What were you going to say, Lindsay? I was saying just the fact that even with losing Pennsylvania and Arizona, 
he still could not have won. It was completely political theater that wasn't still going to give enough electoral votes. Like Trump couldn't have taken even with those two things. They would have had to flip all four states and there was no way that was going to happen because the House was controlled by the Democrats. It was definitely political theater. Yeah, and it was it was never in good faith. That's correct. It wasn't necessarily in good faith for the overall cause of making a change in how the election went and the out- outcome, the the final outcome. However, however, one thing one thing that they are continuing to say is that oh, well, it's it's about the integrity of what's going on with these different states and their elections. And um, I remember I was listening to one of the speeches. The, uh, I can't remember if it was the first first uh, person that was speaking in the house about Arizona before the whole riot thing happened, but bringing up like, oh, there were 30 some thousand votes that were accepted, even though later on there was some injunction or something granted that, that, um, took down one of the legal determinations about how uh, the deadline of the Arizona vote uh, registration process was changed. But what the overall sentiment is, is that things aren't being done like in a, in an ethical way. And there's doubts about all these different pockets of what's happening and that infringes on our rights as a as the the people, right? And so there's this anger about if they were ethical once, they would have credibility. There's this anger about, well, I voted legitimately and my district, you know, was voting legitimately, but our voice didn't get heard as much as the people who were voting quote unquote illegitimately because those votes were apparently more important more important to the party that is um, you know being being shady <laughs> essentially with these welcome to democracy well and that's the thing like we we don't have uh, challenges to elections in other states like Texas mm-hmm. Texas changed their voting laws without the consent of the legislature yep had Federal judges say they couldn't do things that they were doing. Texas went red, though, so that was clearly all completely viable. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's the problem. If we want this, and look, I'm looking at you, Ted Cruz. I don't think you're going to listen to this podcast, but you need to listen up to this one. If you're going to say that this is about the integrity of elections, then you need to focus on your state and the integrity of your state's elections. Mm-hmm. Because what happened was people were disenfranchised because the rules kept changing in Harris County specifically, a county that's bigger than Rhode Island with more people than like, I think the bottom 10 states. And and yet we're going to change the rules based on the whim of the governor, not the legislature, which is against the Constitution. So if you're upset about these other states, Mr. Ted Cruz, then, Senator, you need to raise objections in your own state. But you didn't. Because it didn't help you politically. And that is gross. But that's because the people the people in the protest show what this is about. Because we had actual Nazis that broke in. There was one there was one picture of a guy who said six his shirt said six million was not enough. Another guy had a shirt that said Camp Auschwitz, right? Like it's because they don't care about the votes of people in Harris County because Harris County has a large population that is not white, right? Like that's the whole point. They don't care. It's working as intended when you disenfranchise people who are not white dudes. Right. Like, and that's, 
what is so glaringly obvious now when you have actual Nazis in the Capitol, some of them writing speeches for the president, right? Um, some of them broke into the Capitol. Some of them have been there for the past four years, um, but Stephen Miller, um, <laughs> maybe we'll have to take that section out, um, but maybe just the maybe just the name no we we can't take stephen miller out that's a crime okay, so there are at least white supremacists that have been in the white house for the past four years and we had actual nazis broke into the capitol who were helped by the capitol police force taking selfies with them right like this is not a bug this is a feature like if you look at how policing has been in america we talked about before like it originated as slave gangs you know police unions were founded by actual nazis um like the American Bund, Bund, is that how you say it? Bundesliga? Yeah, I've only ever read it. Um, but like white supremacy is baked into how we do some of these things, which include voting, especially in the South, right? Like the, effect, the amount of rigging that happened immediately after reconstruction ended. Like this is how we've always done things. Oh, that was another one. Yeah. Where, where, where they're like, we need a commission like we had in 1876. And I think I could be wrong. Please, someone fact check me. I'm pretty sure it was Lindsey Graham. And look, if I'm on the side of Lindsey Graham and Lindsey Graham is the voice of reason, something has gone wrong. <laughs> and Lindsey Graham said, do you know what happened? The commission didn't do anything. Rutherford B. Hayes agreed with the other guy. They had a backroom deal to make Hayes president so he would remove the tropes out of the South. And what'd you get? Jim Crow. Do we really want that again? That's what Lindsey Graham, I believe, said. And it's like, oh, wow. How is Lindsey Graham the voice of reason after the last four years? But he is. That's exactly what happened. And and yet we want we want to do that again. I mean, I guess they kind of do, but that, that's exactly what they want again. They want the troops taken back out of the South. They want to go back to having their bathrooms the way they want their bathrooms. They want to go back to their schools the way they want their schools. They want to go back to 1870. That's exactly what they want. They're conservatives. So care, careful though, Caleb. Careful though, Nate. I'm tired of being careful. <laughs> I hear you. Did y'all see the quote about the couple who was talking about how they're supposed to shoot BLM, not us? And you're like, what? No, they're not supposed to shoot anyone. <laughs> oh my gosh. There was this one guy. Okay. So I, I sent the link to uh, to some people in the group. I didn't send it to everybody. The the kid, and, and I saw, if you watch the video of the lady getting shot, um, and don't watch it if you're if you can't, but this person is definitely there. Like, the and he comes out and he talks to P- PBS. He's got blood on his hand. And he said, and I quote, well, I can't quote, but I'm going to get close. He said, we can't have a government that just shoots people like that. And all you, right. And all you can say is, oh, my sweet summer child. That's what black people have been trying to tell you for the past, at least, at least 10 years. And yet you were, you ignored them then. And now all of a sudden you understand the problem because, oh, because one of you got shot. Like, look. It's it's super sad. It shouldn't have happened because this whole thing is a cluster. But I, I just it, it blows my mind that this kid and he was a kid does not see the cognitive dissonance of yeah they are just shooting people, and that's what we that's what it's been saying. That's why people were upset, and yet you weren't upset until it happened to somebody right next to you, and and that shouldn't be the level. And to someone who looks like you. Well, and I think that we should say, and in this case. I don't think that the police were just shooting people. They had already, this was inside of the Capitol building. Like this was not just shooting people. This was defending the lives of the representatives. Like, yeah, when Nazis are breaking into the U S government, you don't necessarily think they're going to play nice. 
Like you, you shoot like the, this was not, this is very different than what's been happening. And, and he doesn't see he, cause I watched that video and it's sad. He doesn't get the difference. No, he doesn't get that. He, that they were aggressors. He, he literally missed that they were the aggressors, that they were the ones perpetrating the violence against the police. I mean, an officer died yeah, because of the violence of this mob. And a mat- I mean, in all of the Black Lives Matters protest, I think one officer was killed. Um, it was the one in St. Louis who was guarding, uh, I believe, his, his business or something along those lines. He was a retired officer. It, it's just, you know, in, it's it's wild to to think of the cognitive dissonance of okay but like we're right this level of a lack of empathy for the other people who who might be right and uh, the whole thing was just mind-blowing to me and again it it to bring it back to the whole power theme it it completely misses the well like like you said the empathy of understanding anybody else's uh experience but them not recognizing like you are benefiting from the power and privilege Uh, all these people who didn't get shot (laughs) um are benefiting from the power and privilege that they've had that has been established from the beginning of our country um and they just missed that and yet that shouldn't be what we seek or what we expect as if we're from a christian perspective not that every single person who was raiding the capital is following jesus or in the way that we would want we would define following jesus but we can't we can't define power and strength in that way we can't be so blind to what privilege we have in our country that's been ingrained in that and and i'd say like we've talked about most of the evangelical world is uh it refuses to see that power that we have yeah there's there is quite a bit of um privilege attached obviously to the fact that this enormous group of people had such an easy time at getting into the Capitol. I mean, it, it kind of likened to um, In a New Hope, Star Wars, right? They're trying to escape the Death Star. Haven't heard of it. And the Death Star is filled with many, many people with many, many means of killing. And they face four TIE fighters on the way out, right? It's like the Capitol Police were the four TIE fighters. But instead of getting out, they were trying to get in. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. (laughs) And that's, I mean, there's, I'm sure, many factors that went into how things failed in terms of preparations for this enormous assembly that was obviously led by a lot of individuals who had certain intentions that were not necessarily peaceful. Just that's that's quite a privilege that, that these people had such an easy way of getting inside that building and endangering the lives of lots of people. And on the other hand, though, one of the things that I think is getting somewhat missed um, in all the discussion is the limited amount of damage that actually occurred. You can't give them credit for that, though, when they had to try, they had bombs. Like, it's not that they were, they didn't do damages. They They did try to blow things up. They tried to blow things up and they're just real dumb. (laughs) They're just really bad at it. However, when you compare the amount of people that were crowded into the rotunda at certain points and how there were clashes between the group of rioters and the police forces when the riot gear folks moved in to clear the building, like when when you look at that, 
and you look at like what was actually left behind, it's not like, I mean, cause Nancy Pelosi's office was one example. I mean, a broken uh, mirror, her like lectern was stolen or, or whatever. There were, um, I think like a, a placard or something that were, they were coming for people though. Yeah. That, and that's another point to be made too, is that their intention may not have been to damage the property, but more to do something with the people inside the building. So just interesting to, to make note that that hasn't really been part of the conversation as far as I've seen about how, well, I mean, there were this many people in the building and they were pretty rowdy, but they didn't break much. That's like saying like, well, at least Hitler liked dogs. Yeah, but they didn't break much because because what they wanted to break was people. It wasn't stuff. It wasn't even people. They wanted to break the system. Well, they were they were saying to come for people like they were talking about one of the speeches. It talks about like getting rid of weak politicians. It's like, and there's a picture of one of the guys with like, like the zip ties, the police, yeah, the handcuffs zip ties, like, and a hammer. Like they were coming to hurt people and systems. And I feel like, honestly, there's no point in talking about what they did well, because you don't give, you don't give, you don't give the Nazis credit for, well, Hitler was a vegetarian and liked animals. You're like, yeah, I don't care. He was a monster. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. I feel like we, we try too hard to be generous. And there's a point where you're like, you know what? You're a brood of vipers. And that is the kindest thing we can say. There was also a lot of, uh, I mean, to, to mention on, on that um, side of things, there was also a lot of stupidity going around. People taking video and photos of themselves without masks and then posting them on social media for the FBI to find. I mean, <laughs> pretty dumb. Also known as, what did we decide to call it? We didn't come up, we didn't come up with the official title for it, Matt. Hubris? No, it's the opposite of pleading the fifth. Or when you plead the fifth, you can't you can't incriminate yourself, and these people are willingly incriminating themselves. All right, so I I think that you guys have a lot of a lot of good points in there, but I think that what we've seen here is is an attempt at power, an attempt at power that looks like violence to overthrow and take over what they wanted. Right? Last week, Lindsay gave a great quote from Tacitus, where Rome made a wasteland and called it peace um because what we've done is in america is we've done that thing we've made a wasteland and called it peace and that is the vision for power in america that's what we do here that's what we do in other countries that's what we did with the westward expansion that is the american system and and what we saw is the uncomfortable reality that that's what our system is and that's totally opposite to christian power like matt was saying earlier the Christian vision for power is not some form of masculinity to take what I want, to to punch people or to do these things. Like that's not the Christian vision of power. And in 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 America, we've missed that. Missed that huge. Where in America, the way that we have Christian power is exactly opposite of Christ. And that's the problem is these people thought they were standing for Jesus. There were flags and banners that were saying that they were Christians, that this is Jesus, that this is God's country. And it's not true. What we saw was Antichrist. Yeah, so that's um, that takes me to an article. I, I think I shared the link on the chat. Uh, to an article from the Atlantic that talks about um, in particular the, what was um, organized as the Jericho March and th they've been doing 
events. Which also, let's just talk about that for half a second. We called it the Jericho March. What we're asking for is for an earthquake to come and tear down the DC. Uh-huh. The, yeah, I think I think they are a little bit more metaphorical about it because they're wanting the corruption to be exposed. Well, no, but, but if you follow the metaphor, that's what the metaphor goes towards. Yeah, no, the but the corruption isn't what's exposed in a Jericho. In Jericho, like what is exposed is the death of the people. If you want corruption to be exposed, there's like lots of other examples, like the plague with David. Um. They they went hard on just the worst. No, I mean, I guess it was the best one for them, but... It's just interesting. That group is interesting. They responded to this article saying this was dishonest journalism, but um, they didn't give any examples. Anyway... Hold on, Nate. They don't know what journalism is. Before, before you go on that, I want to I go back to the whole what the Jericho March thing is, and then you can go back. So I'm interrupting you. Yeah, great. No, go ahead and provide context. Um, so a Jericho March, like we're Pentecostals. We've probably heard of these. Like, this is not a new thing in the Pentecostal movement, right? Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. No, Caleb, Caleb, that is true for those of us who were raised Pentecostal. For those of us on the chat who were not raised Pentecostal, have you ever experienced a Jericho march? No. I've managed to avoid them because I don't get invited to such things because I'm too much of a hippie. Not like a organized one. Mike? Uh, I grew up Lutheran, so... No. <laughs> Lutherans Lutherans don't know how to stand up out of the seat once they've sat down. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, no. We don't if if the words are written in front of us, we don't we don't know what we're doing. Nate, have you ever experienced a, a spontaneous Jericho march? Not no, not like officially officially. I mean on some mission trips we've been on, like I've done. So Caleb, I would I would uh, strike from the record that everyone's everyone's uh familiar with those. Can someone explain to me actually what a what a Jericho march is? So Jericho March is in theory a spontaneous moment in a Pentecostal service, in which case People get up and they walk around the, the building singing songs, but not like the outside of the building, the inside of the building, which is why it's really strange to call it a Jericho march because once again, Jericho was marched around so it would fall down. And we don't want the church to fall down. Matt, the thing that the Jericho march is is not supposed is not ever supposed to be like the building to fall down it's supposed to be those powers and authorities that are getting in the way of god's plan for your life i don't know if you know this caleb but uh but according to the bible story jericho's walls fell down not the powers of jericho so maybe the powers of jericho did as well but i don't think you can read this story allegorically this is not a biblically sound theology this is what i've heard explained to me in the past especially the people who advocate for a plain reading of genesis where are the trumpets though? that's what i want to know gotta be a shofar uh, trump is joshua let's just be honest so when when they say that it's a jericho march they're drawing on that imagery from Pentecostalism, um, which is that we're marching and praying that God will get rid of those things which are barriers to his plan for our life. Okay. So there's a little bit of context, even though this particular organization that is putting together these Jericho marches isn't necessarily following a Pentecostal ideology. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say. Wait, are there, is there more than one of these? There's been a couple. So are, are they Pentecostal? It, it did not seem to me when I looked at their 
materials that they are actually Pentecostal. Okay, but what is evangelical and what is Pentecostal? Like, if you're doing Pentecostal things, are you not Pentecostal? Was that when we differentiate between charismatic and Pentecostal? And so, like, we have, like... Is it Jericho March? Is that the thing that was in D.C. like a couple months ago and Michael W. Smith played? Yes. December 12th, I think it was. But that's not a real Jericho. Did they march anywhere? They did on the 6th. (laughs) They marched around the National Mall, just so you know. Can we start like stop calling them Jericho marches and start calling them like COVID super spreading events in which like... That's going to be the actual consequence of the of the like the capital invasion is all the people who are going to die because they got COVID. No, because because on inaugural day, COVID is going to disappear. Back in by Easter, right? He just meant Easter like three years from now. Got it. Right. So, uh, have you heard the name for the the people who are uh, who objected to this? And uh, multiple people have called them this, and I really like it: the insurrection or the sedition caucus. I don't know why, but it's peak, and I want to continue to use it. I love it. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna say that Ted Cruz is part of that for the rest of his life. Like, well, they what? I mean, there was at least one with the Confederate flag waving it through the halls of Congress. For the one on December 12th, Dennis Prager was there, and uh, Dennis Prager is the Jewish leader of Prager University. So. That's unfortunate. And then Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy, is there, and apparently Mike Lindell is considering running the My Pillow guy. Yeah, he's con- he's from Minnesota, and he is considering running as the GOP candidate for governor here. What? The guy on the like on the My Pillow? Yes, he's been funding all sorts of things. He's in Trump's inner circle. I didn't think that anyone would po- put a picture like that on their product. I thought it was stock photo. <laughs> it's not. So Nate, what were you actually going to say about the article? Yeah, okay, so back to your whole thing about the Jericho March. Okay, so the Jericho Marches, they did one where they they watched the president's speech, they marched to the Capitol as a group, they participated in the protests, and then were posting things about how, uh, later on, how we were, you know, this is what it really looks like, and the fake news media aren't going to be, uh, aren't going to be reporting this, but we were all singing songs, and, um, you know, had a positive message, and there was there were people praying the rosary and stuff like that. This this group is actually it's multi. Um, it's ecumenical. They call it they call it diverse. Yeah, ecumenical might be a good uh, way to say it. They have some who are like bishops in the Catholic Church who have spoken. I guess there's others that are um, maybe along the lines of like Messianic Judaism that sort of thing. It's it's inclusive of multiple different. It's not just like this is evangelical or southern baptist or whatever so um the the group itself is posting these things about how we're peaceful and and this protest was mostly you know all of these positive things and whatnot and this piece from the atlantic is is talking about from a reporting angle what was going on in the crowds and the the thing that the jericho march calls people to do is it's a call to they they they, what the words that they use are calling patriots and individuals of faith to come out and pray against and and um, assemble against corruption okay and for fair elections that's kind of the primary um talking point right so this this atlantic article is talking about as a whole the protest what was going on, the different, the different like attitudes that were being expressed, 
the language that people were using, the overall like kind of tenor of the event um, up until, you know, you know, even, even through doing the, the whole riot. Um, and it's, it's talking about how members of faith communities are out there doing this and they're, they're doing it in a way that um, the Atlantic is saying is um, an attempt to exercise God's will that president Trump be, be you know, kept in power. And so um, it reports on different things, but one of the one of the things that I found particularly interesting is the way that this um, writer for the Atlantic is is talking about it. And they say the Jericho March is evidence that Trump has bent elements of American Christianity to his will, and that many Christians have obligingly remade their faith in his image. I disagree. Yeah, I I one hundred percent disagree with the Atlantic uh, person. So I thought that was an interesting perspective and might be relevant to talk about. So Caleb, given what you were saying about, you know, the different, uh, well, yeah, let's talk. <laughs> so I, I, I agree, uh, with Kristen Kobed, Kobez Dumay, clearly because she's brilliant. And, uh, that this did, this was Trump. That's the author of Jesus and John Wayne in case you don't, anybody doesn't know that. Correct. So no one, no one molded their beliefs to fit Trump. Trump fit the beliefs they already had. Yep. Trump is evangelicalism currently. Like it's not, not like Trump came along and was like, oh yeah, we we can't. no no they were already there. Like no one cared. No one actually cared that uh, Bill Clinton got a blowjob in the White House. They cared that he was a Democrat. You know, like and and the reason I know that is the exact same people who told me that character matters are the ones who are now saying it doesn't. The exact same people. Mm-hmm. I, I, I felt betrayed. That, that's what, yeah, exactly. Like, when, when Trump started to become popular in GOP politics, and it's like, you're the people that told me that this stuff matters, and now you're saying it doesn't. Yep. And, and to Kobez Dumay's point, in, in the introduction, <laughs> she talks about the fact that, um... Pastors do not have the influence over their congregations anymore, right? The Gospel Coalition, Together for the Gospel, Tim Keller, John Piper, Rick Warren, Mark Driscoll, those are the names that have power over their congregations. And for whatever reason, we've, well, because of consumer Christianity, we've shifted away from the local mindset into the mindset of um, who can sell the most books. Just ask Mark Driscoll. He'll buy all of his books. Yeah, I just, I just think that the part of the problem is that for so many people, especially Christians, that what has happened is people are looking at Trump as if we're looking into a crystal ball and seeing something that, oh, where did that come from? When in reality, the crystal ball was a mirror the whole time. Ouch. I do, I do agree there. I think that uh, Trump won the primary like was more indicative of the uh, issue or like was revealing the, the issues within the evangelical Christian right. Like that was more revealing than, uh, than, and then the fact that he won the presidency, like the, the fact that he won the primary was way more of a diagnostic tool of the issues within evangelicalism than the fact that he won 
and was president. And again, he shouldn't have won the primary. The Republicans were stupid, and Cruz and Rubio kept fighting amongst themselves as if one of them could beat Trump. Um, it's like it's like not coalescing around Biden. Like that's what the the Republicans did. It was bad politics. Like anyone with a modicum of hindsight can see that you can't win a primary with thirty percent of the vote unless everyone's also running. And as soon as Super Tuesday happened. Everyone should know as soon as South Carolina happened, everyone who wasn't one of the top three, top two should have dropped out just like they did in the Democratic primary. Like that's what those first three primaries are for. But that's not a thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he shouldn't have won. But still, like. So I I think that there there are things, there are bits of truth in this, right? In in this Atlantic article. I think it's a good article. I just think that uh, this author, this Emma Green, doesn't have an accurate understanding of the shift inside of evangelicalism. Yeah, the the line that she has, the Jericho March is evidence that Donald Trump has been elements of American Christianity to his will and that many Christians have obligingly remade their faith in his image. The truth is their faith was already in his image and the fact that that is the case is the fault of the religious right. And I'm not saying that please don't hear me and say that we need to be on the religious left. Like if you are a GOP person and you believe that smaller government is the way to go and that's fine, you can certainly be there. And, but don't tell me that you're that way because of your Christianity. Like you're that way because of your, your environment. And just the same way with people on the left. Like, you're not on the left solely because of your politics or because of your Christianity, because there are clearly things, as Tim Keller pointed out in a very good article, that the left gets incredibly wrong and it's just not beneficial. So, if your politics, your politics can't be driven by faith in America, it's literally impossible. So, you're going to have to pick the side that you think is better ish. And, and that's just the way of empire. We can't. We can't announce that the empire is right. I do think that does a disservice, though, because if you have an accurate understanding of the heart you should have for many things in scripture, I do think that it is fair to say that while neither are perfect, one does align with the value of scripture better than the other. And it is not the one that most conservatives assume that it is. I disagree, though, because you are in your assumption, you have assumed that the government is Christian that the government is where those things should come from. And that's an okay assumption to make. Like if that's part of your. What was the temple tax? (laughs) Right? Like it came from that way in the old Testament every, like every three years. Sure. But I don't believe that this empire has should or can have anything to do with the temple. Like that, the, the conflagration of those two is what is wrong. No, I don't think they're the same at all, but I do think if we're really going to pray that his kingdom comes, like we do try to make, and live like it's a real thing, then like we make choices that try to conform empire to kingdom as much as possible without realizing that they are not the same thing. And there's- I don't, I don't think so. Well, then what do we do? Live like anarchists and just hope for the best? Cause that's a complete disaster for the, for the people who are not the powerful. No, I, I, I don't think, I don't think that that's better either. I, I'm saying that like- But it's a false equivalence. I don't think it's a false equivalency because I'm saying that empire cannot be Christian. Full stop. Okay. So any any argument that says we need to make our empire more Christian, specifically taking care of those who the Bible says we should take care of, is a broken argument 
at its base because the empire cannot be Christian. Now, should we take care of those people? I think that's nonsense. <laughs> I'm with you, Lindsay. Should we take care of those people? Absolutely. But how we do that is not dictated by scripture. And to say that it is, or to infer that it is, especially based on empire, I think that that has major obstacles in in and of itself. The, the, the peace that empire brings, the kind of life that empire brings, even if it's done the best that it can be, is still a peace and a life that is based on violence towards others. Like, it doesn't matter how good America would do at healthcare, which I support socialized healthcare, right? Like, I'm pretty liberal on the political spectrum because I think that the empire should work for the welfare of people as best as it can. But that's not based on my Christianity because my Christianity is separate because the peace of Christ is not the peace of empire. But that's ridiculous because it's like you're Christian. Yes, like it is your Christianity that leads you to view the world the way that you do. And separating that out is what gives us the weird platonic worldview that leads to the mess that we're in, right? Spiritual and secular are not separate things. But we're not, I'm not saying that the spiritual and the physical are separate things. I'm saying that empire is wrong. It can't be right. It cannot. There is no way. So how do large so how do large group of people interact with each other then without systems in place to do so? Empire. Yeah, empire. But it doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> when because there will be in order to organize a social um but so Lindsay, I think I think that you are I think you're missing the you're missing the disconnect here between no because in order to organize a society, there's going to be social contracts. So because of that, there will be empire. I don't think Matt and Caleb or either of them are saying that we live without empire or that we live without a, a, a rule of law or live without social contracts because that would be a non-society. Um, the, the point is that even if you try to make empire look like or do things that would seem like they are um, carrying out God's will, it's not, it doesn't have Christ there, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, I'm not saying it has to, but I'm saying as people who are Christians who follow Christ and believe that these things matter, we cannot divorce that from how we interact with the world around us. And so it's not disingenuous to say that it's inspiring it, because if I believe that we should take care of the poor, the widow, the stranger, and the orphan, like if there's a good way to do that on a large scale, which is things like government, then like that is something as a Christian we should care about and do. And I'm not trying to invest empire with the like power and authority of God, but I think it's absurd to try to separate the theology that motivates our worldview from how our worldview interacts with the actual world. Yes. I think that we can't I think that we can't as Christians say that caring for the poor, caring for the foreigner, caring for the widow is important, right? We cannot say that those things are unimportant or those things are not valuable. No no Christian should say that, right? And we can disagree on how it happens, but it's often an excuse. It's almost always Hold on. Hold on. Let me finish. Okay. We cannot or should not disagree that that is important. But we can disagree. We say we don't. <laughs> we can disagree on the specific mechanisms, right? Maybe we say that the foreigner, that the government should not give whatever free money to people who come in. Because that's what a lot of people believe is happening, right? They just get free money. But that's not based in reality, so that's not a valid argument. <laughs> you can't use invalid reality to make an argument. 
No, wait, listen, because this matters in their political ideology, even if it's not true. This is what they think happens, so that matters for how they vote, okay? We can disagree with, we can say, well, no, that's not happening, whatever. But we can disagree with whether or not the government should do that or whether or not private people should do that. And if you believe that private people should be doing that and you don't do that, you're a hypocrite. But that's the problem is it's, it's almost unilaterally an excuse. Right. I am aware of that, Lindsay, but <laughs> and so I, I, why are we giving it credence? It's not ever done in good faith because because hold on, because here's the thing. The church is supposed to be different. Supposed to be. And if the church, if yes, yes, the church is supposed to be different. But if empire is given the power to do what the church does and given the will and given the strength to do what the church does, the church cannot be different from empire. I think that's a ridiculous argument. <laughs> like it's, it can't be a ridiculous argument, but it kind of is because like, if how is the church different then? Okay. Oh, sorry. We can't have other people. Yeah. For one. And it just like, it's absurd to say, Oh, that's like saying we can't meet felt needs because then no one's going to like care about the gospel. Like, that's who can't meet felt need. Apparently large group scales, like large scale groups of people, large scale groups of people can do it, but the government does so through violence. Like no matter what we say about taxes and we all know that I don't think taxation is theft, but taxes are collected at threat with threat of violence. You mean like in ancient Israel when God set up a kingdom and they pay taxes to the temple? Yes. He, he collected taxes in the threat of violence. The violence here being discommunication from this uh, community. Like taxes are a, a manifestation of, of violence and it's the same with giving in the church. Like if you, if you say we gave everything we had and you didn't, there's a chance you might get struck dead. Read Acts five. So the, the point is not that the, the government can't do these things, but to say the government should be the one doing them is not a biblical argument. You cannot make that argument biblically. I think the point is not that the church should abdicate its responsibility, but one, it has, so someone needs to do it. And two, it is the large, there's a reason that like Catholic charities are one of the largest in the world is because of that network and that connections. And it's, it's the things like, like Patreon and Kickstarter. Like we all agree that like crowdfunding seems to be the best way to get large scale projects done efficiently and distributing resources, right? So unless we're going to stop schisming out in the church and having like 70 different mission boards that are all fighting with each other about where to build their soup kitchen, <laughs> right? Like it is the most effective way to help people. Right. But that's the thing. So again, that's the thing, but you have hit on the exact thing that I'm, I'm not making this argument. I personally am not making this argument, but the argument can be made that you cannot, you cannot have the church coalesce when empire is running those things. There's no reason to. Why the hell do we need to work together to have a soup kitchen if the gov if we can have the government do it? That's like saying people, why would you give them welfare because then they're not going to be working. You're using the exact same argument people use about to, to, to excuse not giving out welfare. One, I don't think they're the same argument. It's the exact same argument. Why would we do it if someone else is? It's not the exact same argument. It is not the exact same argument. The exact same argument no, because I'm not saying that we shouldn't do it. Yes, you are. <laughs> no, because we should do it. We could do it. But there's no motivation to do it as the church. Yeah, which is the exact same argument that people give towards welfare. Like, but there, but there, but there's already no motivation to give. I mean, as, as someone who who spends my summer of like support raising and like raising a budget to you know live and eat, 
Uh, it is always under the assumption that someone else will do the giving, so I don't have to. Yeah. Yes. And that's like, and so the church is already failing at that. Why? I, I don't know, but it's not because the government's helping. And I'm telling you, it's because the, we've expected the government to do it. That's absurd. But the government doesn't do anything yet. No, it's not. Because you know what? Before before the New Deal, what what is your local hospital called? And they still are mostly called that. And they like they're called that, but they're not that. The largest hospital in Houston was the Episcopal Hospital, and they sold it. To blame the New Deal for the problems with American evangelicalism is insane. They sold the Episcopal Hospital because it was going to make them more money. That's because we shouldn't have for-profit medicine. That's a different problem. <laughs> but it wasn't for profit. It was not for-profit medicine. We had like the biggest hospital in when I grew up was Harris Methodist. My dad, when he was in an accident, got taken to St. Christus, right? We did these things. We had a humanitarian effort that was led by the church prior to the New Deal. Blame the New Deal for what's happening in American evangelicalism is... I'm not blaming it completely. But that's what you just said. <laughs> but it does make a difference. It changed how we interact with the culture. Had the church been doing it enough, there wouldn't have been a need for the New Deal. And that's what I'm trying to highlight. I don't think that that's true because what the New Deal did was infuse... It, no, it was a de depression. The New Deal did things that had to happen at that time. Like, I'm, I'm not going to say the New Deal was bad, but it changed how the church viewed its interaction with the poor was that's a, not just the new deal that's no it's definitely not just a new deal it it was the new deal and the uh the welfare programs uh started by johnson and not that they're bad but they changed the way that the church interacted with those things and that was egged on by the religious right like i'm not saying this is a perfect argument there's a lot going into it but i don't think that you can say you have to vote this way because of the bible I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm saying that if you're going to use it as an argument, and the problem is, it is when it is one used as an excuse, and two not based in reality, it is not a valid counterpoint because that's not why it's being used, right? It's like that's they don't actually they're not like we're not they're not saying it because they really genuinely for the most part believe. Otherwise, they would be doing it. What we've seen this year is honestly. One, a significant number of American evangelicals are not actually Christians. They are churchgoers who like social community. Um, so they're not actually following Jesus. Otherwise, they would act like they follow Jesus. And two, if they were going to actually act like they follow Jesus, it doesn't matter if someone else is doing it because there's always more people to help. Therefore, blaming the people who are already helping for the people who are being lazy bums, not acting like Jesus, is not actually the people doing the helping's fault, right? And it's like, that's what I think is crazy because like we use it as an excuse not saying you are, because like I'm talking to a whole bunch of generous people, right? But I think you're giving too much credit to the argument out of the goodness of your. This is the Captain America Iron Man debate about do you need to sign the Segovia Accords or not? If you're Captain America, you assume you don't need them because you're awesome, right? You're like everyone's like me. Everyone thinks like I do. Everyone does this like does this. So clearly, we don't need it. Iron Man being Iron Man is like everyone's like me. We have to have this, right? And this, you guys are Captain America arguing for why Iron Man doesn't need to sign the thing. And I'm like, nah, guys, Iron Man, Iron Man needs to sign the thing, right? Like we need to have systems because like they're not doing it or they would do it. Not, not quite, Lindsay. I'm, I'm arguing that it is a cohesive worldview that is not contrary to the gospel. 
I'm not even arguing that it is a good thing, right? Like I am, I am a liberal. I'm for the social support in these ways, crowdfunded by the government. But I can't say that believing the government should not do this and Christians should be doing this is an unchristian position. That's where the difference is going to be. I think that I, I, I am for government support on a lot more things than what we have, right? But that being said. I think that you can be a Christian who isn't. And I know a lot of Christians who have been appalled by the politics of the past several years, who are generous people, who do those things, who are conservatives. They aren't the majority, but they do exist and they can exist. So I think that your position was too extreme. I think that there's a, a moderate position in here where you can be Christian and think the government shouldn't do these things because the government is inherently violent. And because Jesus isn't violent, we should do these things in a nonviolent way. I think if you argue it in good faith, I would give it credit, but because it is most often used by people who just don't like poor people or minorities, then that argument is kind of invalidated. Right. Like it's like, I understand these people exist. I don't think you can invalidate an argument simply because some people make it bad. That's like saying, that's like saying people who argue for evolution, who aren't creationist, like make the evolution argument bad from biblical worldview. They're arguing for it well, but they don't believe it. And there's a difference. And it's like, so basically I think what I'm trying to get to is like, we shouldn't give it the same weight because honestly it's not being used authentically. So we should not give it like we shouldn't imply that it's viable because they use it so. But some people are using it authentically. You cannot be the judge of whether it's authentic or not. You shall know a tree by its fruit. Sure. Like, yes, I can. I absolutely can. And some trees are producing fruit. A lot of these trees are producing fruit. Yeah, I think you're making a broad statement against a broad group of people. I don't know what 85% of evangelicals are still cool with Trump. So I think I can make that broad sweeping statement. But it doesn't necessarily mean they're cool with Trump. Like you've, you've automatically jumped. But they did. They've, they've done surveys where they've talked about it. Right. And it's like, and I think the problem, what I'm trying, what I'm trying to get to is that just because there is a section of a group of people that do mean that authentically, we have to. We have to be intentional with how we talk about things because it is so often misused that presenting it as an equally valid alternative when it is primarily used as a means to avoid responsibility is irresponsible. That's what I was trying to get to. <laughs> but there's, we don't know who all still supports Trump after the events of this week. But people who have supported him previously, I've talked to several of them who have realized since Wednesday that Trump is not somebody that they should have voted for two months ago. They've realized the damage that he was, that he's not who they thought that he was. They've realized that, and those are people that are Christians. So there has been, 2021 was the events so far have been a year of, of unveiling what's actually there. And people have realized that. And I don't think that we can group in that 80% of people who two months ago voted for Trump as all still being that. I think that we need... We knew this already. <laughs> no, I think we need to give people time before we start throwing out the numbers from two months ago. And let's see in a month what people think. We gave them six years. It has been... A, it's like, did you know that in 1938, the Americans knew that there was already Jewish people fleeing from Hitler and we reduced our immigration quota? This is... It's the exact same argument. <laughs> I know. But also those people after the war who realized like who then realized what happened, 
Do we then say after the war that they're still evil people? We tell them you need to learn from this and they have to grow from it and we can't just keep making excuses for them. And the problem is- But we're not making excuses for them. We still have to give space for people to then like- You have, you have to give people space to get to where you are. Like when Jesus called the Pharisees a brood of vipers and lets the literal hell spawn, he called them hell spawn. Yes, because what did, well, no, 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 hold on. Because he calls in the brood of vipers and then what happens? They kill him. They get, they follow him. Some of them do. No, the Pharisees don't kill Jesus. That is incorrect. The Sadducees killed Jesus. Oh, okay. Right? It is a huge difference. One believes in Torah. One one believes in the whole totality of scripture. Jesus is clearly more identified with the Pharisees than anyone else. Yeah, I'm okay with that. And that's the point. But the problem is I feel like we don't ever, we're not that direct. And like, we're so worried. Because, because we cannot, we cannot be that direct without engaging in conversation first. Because he doesn't call them the brood of vipers until we've had two years of good conversation. Because not all of us. And not everyone has been in good conversation with Trump supporters. And even in our calling out, there has to be empathy. And so I want to make sure that when we say these things, we don't come up and say, look, you guys are all (laughs) idiots. And I hate every single one of you because you should have seen this coming. Like, do we want to say that? Sometimes, yes. But we can't say that. And we have to say when we go to these people, say, look, I understand what you're saying. I can see why you voted for Trump. I can get it. I have. But that's the problem, Lindsay. You can't. And you have to be able to be in their world and see why they thought he was a good candidate. Because until you do do that, you're not going to be able to reach out to them and have a good conversation. Because Jesus, again, in those conversations, Mark... So how do we stop them hurting people right now? You can't. Because that matters too. You can't stop them from hurting people right now. Then what, how, do we, how do we love the people that they're abusing and hurting and who are suffering while we're trying to convince these people to like see reality you can't fix people i I think that's i think that's a dangerous thing to be asking because no it's the question we have to ask no because Lindsay, don't we also hurt and endanger and damage and abuse others i'm not shooting unarmed men i'm you know and i granted that's going to sound like scales of sin but i'm saying there is a systemic problem and systemic problems require systemic solutions but that's not a repentant heart to be coming to someone else to be asking them to also be repentant because i'm gonna go back i'm gonna go back and read something dude call me out on my sins i know i'm being aggressive right now and that's what i'm saying right but like and i need to probably chill out right but i think it is absurd that we are more loving to the perpetrators than we are to the victims. And we have to be loving to both, which means justice and then restoration. And until there is no justice- Hold on, who who here is being more loving to the aggressors than the victim? We're not stopping them. We're, we're not stopping who? The people who are making the decisions that are saying things like this are the, you know, like we're not, we're not, not on a, honestly, on a national level, we're not really holding people accountable to things. Like, honestly, it's been six years. If you haven't seen the racist, sexist, hateful rhetoric of Trump by now, there's a point of- I'm, I'm telling you, they hadn't, and there's a lot of people who have in the past two days. You can't wake someone up who's pretending to be asleep. But they have been woken up. A lot of them have, and some haven't. Sort of. <laughs> it went just a little too far. That's the problem. It went a lot too far, and I'm telling you, I've talked to people who previously supported Trump, who 
had his paraphernalia, who have gotten rid of it, who have thrown it away, who have said, this is not who I support, and I do not associate with him anymore. That has happened. It's the same thing that happened in Germany. Like, everyone's like, I'm not a Nazi. Yes, exactly, Lindsay. But they didn't mean it. It was just, it was just, oh crap, this went too far and I don't want to be associated with it anymore. But they did because Germany isn't still Nazi. They did mean it because the country has changed. Some of them did, some of them just we put back in power. The country of Germany has changed. It is now, yes. And we held them accountable. Lindsay, you want instant sanctification to happen and I just don't believe that's gonna happen. But we did hold them accountable. We like, what do you think the Nuremberg trials were? They didn't, not everyone was in there. I think that we do need to hold people accountable, right? But the question is, who do we hold accountable? We hold accountable Ted Cruz. We hold accountable Josh Hawley. We hold accountable those senators that allowed this to go too far. We hold accountable Lindsey Graham for not standing up to Trump for four years, right? Those are the people that we hold accountable who we say, you guys messed this up, you caused the problem. What about the pastors who've been teaching the nationalist propaganda? Hold on, let me get there. I've got a whole list of people here. I've been calling them out for years. Where have you been? Okay, to, to the person who's been in the church who didn't know who listened to Fox News but didn't engage in other media, that didn't realize that they were only getting a partial vision of Trump, and now they've seen this, and now they realize that they were part of a cult, we say, yeah, that's where you were. Let's talk about it. Let's come back together, and let's follow Jesus together and see what he says about that. That's what we say to those people. And to those pastors who have been told, who have heard us say that this is bad, who have ignored it, they get to answer to Jesus for leading people into idol worship. Jesus will hold them accountable more than we ever will. And we will call them to repentance and we will say, this is what you guys are doing. And we will let Jesus do the judgment for that. So in the meantime, how do we, I think this is my, this is why I keep coming back to, it's like, but at some point we also have to enter, like, you know, it makes me think of, um, what is it? It's in numbers right after the sons of Korah get eaten by the ground, right? Um, uh, it talks about <laughs> um, how like Aaron and Moses, like Moses, uh, basically the rest of the Israelite assembly pisses off God again. And he tells them to like get out of Dodge because he's about to start over with a new people because he's done. Um, and, and Moses is like, mm, no. And it like he tells Aaron to take a censer full of like incense and runs. And it says Aaron like and. I'm probably quoting it from like NASB or something hybrid of that in King James, but he says he stood between the, the, the dead and the living so the plague might be stopped. Yeah. Right? Like, how do we do that when the people who are supposed to be called to stand between the dead and the living so the plague might be checked are the ones killing people? Okay. I think that's a great question. That's a much better question. But number one, the empire will not do it. And that's to go back to my. Neither has the church. The church has to figure out how to do it. The church, the church needs to get, wake up out of its cowardice and being will, be willing to put its own body on the line and take care of these things. But until then, what do we do with the people who are hurting? No, there is no, there is no until then. That's the church has to do that. There, there cannot be an until then. That sounds great philosophically, right? And I agree. There shouldn't be an until then. It can't be philosophical. But it is because the church should have, would have stepped up by now until like. So we have to call the church to step into those places. Yeah. And then they just ignore us all. <laughs> we have to do it right now. Like, but there, what, what else happens? We let empire do it again? Well, it's better than letting people die and start 
starve and be things that we could have stopped. Like, I know it's a tragedy and I agree a hundred percent. This should absolutely be the church and Christians doing it, but we're not. See, I think this is where we disagree greatly. I would much rather the not give power to the beast. I don't want to give power to the beast because that's what I do when I give power to empire. Cool. I have no answer to that because I'm just like, cool, you can tell the families who are dying of COVID right now that government shouldn't take care of this and they should find a church that will even... No, we're not saying that, Lindsay. Nobody's saying that, Lindsay. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's that's your implication of what I'm saying. Like... But that's, but that's but that's the implication. But that's the implication. But that's the implication of what you're saying. If the government shouldn't do it, but that's the natural consequence. If there's no one who should step in and do it until the church does it, then people are gonna die because the church isn't doing it. But that's the but that is the thing. The church has to figure out how to lead again. Okay, but we've been saying that for decades, right? And it hasn't been happening. And so I agree. Like, so what do we do? So so then the option then is that we let empire do it and. As people who are acting as Christians within empire, like we're not saying take over the world and steal things from people. Like we're not talking forced redistrib- like forced redistribution of wealth through like takeovers like Northern Vietnam style, right? We're talking about there are people who are hurting right now in this exact moment and there are tools to take care of them right now in this exact moment. And that needs to be done. And as Christians, I think we have an obligation to help those people however we can. Okay, so Lindsay, I think that you're talking to a group of people who all believe that that should happen, Mm -hmm. right? The government should distribute vaccines. They should fund those things. But that is not the only Christian position. No, and I'm I'm, I'm actually like, and that's what I'm saying, but I'm saying the point is that's, uh, again, that's often an argument used by people who are disingenuous and not using it in good faith. And so again, I'm saying, yes, that is technically true. However, it's not actually helpful, right? Like it is technically true, but it's not helpful, right? It's not addressing the problems that we're really seeing that one, the church has known that for a very long time, because that's been the call since always, like John Ball said that kind of stuff way back when, right? Protestant Reformation, Wycliffe's times, right? So this has always been a problem we continually have to fight and we continue to have to wrestle with. So it's not helpful to give that credence as a means to avoid responsibility, which I believe none of y'all are saying because I know you and I know that that's not how you're presenting it. You're presenting it in good faith, but it is so rarely presented in good faith that I think we have to acknowledge that it's rarely presented in good faith. And there are people hurting now that need to be taken care of. I agree wholeheartedly. There are people that we have to take care of, all of those things. We need to do that. We need to like actually get the vaccine to people instead of sitting in coolers. All of those things. We, we need to do those things. But I, I think that, Lindsay, you might be almost going into the territory of the other direction, where the Christian nationalists have taken their Christianity and tied it to the government and said that it's conservative. I think that you're almost going the other direction at times, at least in what you say, whether or not you actually are in, in your heart. I think that at times, your rhetoric at least, goes there where it becomes then the responsibility of the government to do the mission of the church. And and I think that we have to find a middle. Well, I was trying to imply that the spill of a government is to, in theory, take care of the people of its citizenry. If it was a good government, it would. And I never could get into arguments about that. But that's not what government does, right? Government makes a wa- wasteland and calls it peace. Yep. And I agree. But I think that's why you try to make it not make a wasteland, right? Like, it's like, how do we... St- <laughs> I, just don't, I just don't believe that's possible. I think that what we do is we say in the wasteland that our government has made, we plant a garden. Yeah. 
And that's what I'm saying. And so what I was trying to get to is I have no problem with disagreement if it's genuine, like people I know who, but I think if, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, it is. I think that what, what we need to start doing is stop worrying about, I mean, obviously stop people from continuing to make a wasteland, but stop worrying about who caused this, who did this. We need to say, no, we're going to, all of us stop doing this and we're going to plant a garden and we're going to see God's kingdom come on this earth as we do that as we engage in the mission of bringing heaven on earth. We need to do that mission. And when anybody is ready to cooperate in that mission, we need to accept them. And whether they were a Nazi or not, or whether they were a Trump supporter or not, when they're ready to help with the gardening, we give them a shovel. Yep. But repentance requires some kind of restoration. Like if you look at all the Old Testament laws, like it's all about making it right. Yes. We have to make it right as much as we can, which is part of what this is too. Right? But I, I think that's what I'm trying to get to. It's like, I have no problem with actual disagreement because this is how we make arguments better, right? Like you, the pushback is how things grow and how they become healthy, right? So like we need to have people who disagree because then we actually get better answers. Right? We need the person to be like, well, what about this? And what about this? Because that's how we actually end up with not yes men, but actual things that work, which I have no problem with if it was actually done, like I said, genuinely for the most part. But I think, again, I'm coming back to that thing I get stuck on, is if most Christians, one, actually were doing something about it, right? Which we are not, otherwise these systems would have no reason to exist, right? And that's what I keep trying to come back to is like, we say it, but this has always been a problem that we've had. And I'm not willing to watch people suffer if it's preventable. Right. And I'm okay with working within the systems where I live to do such things. Right. And I think that's what I'm trying to get to. And I, so I think the point I just keep coming back to is if someone was arguing that and they were an extravagantly generous person, we could have an honest discussion about it. They're like, well, I think it works like this and here's why. And we could have it at a genuine, but it's, but, that is not what's happening in reality. And I think we have to acknowledge that because this isn't some philosophical ideal. This is people's lives. And it, like, this is people's eternities, right? And it's not just like, we can't just watch it happen. And I know no one is saying that because I know all of you, like I'm saying that, I'm not saying that you're saying this by any stretch of the imagination, but many people disingenuously use this argument. And so it's I'm like, we have to find a new ways to talk about it then. Like we can talk about this, but I think we have to find a new way to frame it for it to not be easily misrepresented, right? There's a reason that we don't pledge of allegiance with our arms sticking out in the air anymore that looks like a Hail Hitler. Cause the United States used to do that. We used to pledge allegiance like that. You can see pictures of it, but we don't because it's a symbol that can be easily misunderstood. And I'm saying this argument is like that symbol and that it's just a thing and it's a discussion but it can also be so easily reframed to be misused that we need to find better ways to talk about it. And that's what I was trying to get to is not necessarily the idea itself is nonsense, but I'm like, the idea of how we're framing it, we need to be really intentional with so it is not misrepresented and misused in ways that are completely antithetical to what we're trying to say. I mean, I think that's what happens with that argument. And so how do we talk about it in a way that is not so easily misused? That's really, I'm really feisty today, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> Man, we couldn't tell. I, I, yeah, yeah, obviously. I, I think that the way that... Wait, can I respond to Lindsay's closing statement? Yes, you can respond. Closing or opening? No, closing, because we've been recording for an hour and 46 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I understand what you're saying. And and I don't think that the government shouldn't be involved. But I do fear, genuinely, that we have given too much power to empire as the church. And we have given too much power 
to empire because because the very things you're saying like we see a problem and we think oh the easiest way to meet this need is the government and it's not incorrect to say that but i think that the problem comes when that is our default and i think for so many especially people on the left which all of us are <laughs> that it becomes so easy to say oh the government will fix that and the truth is even when she does she doesn't like she can't fix it because that's what empires do they tear things down and so while we do live in this empire and and we are going to have her take care of things for us because that's the way of empire you know the roads of rome exist whether or not paul's walking them or not we have to i i just don't think we can run into that blindly we have to we have to say we have to be sober enough to say what we're doing is dangerous and and recognize it as dangerous and be willing to say i don't like this i don't like that we're having healthcare paid for by the government i don't like this because i wish on my dream my hope is that the church would do these things and actually be a light but until then we're stuck with this sucky system but always always be trying to wrestle that power from the empire that's fair i think i just i think i'm seeing it differently because i'm not seeing it as ceding our responsibility but sharing it Right. And so I think as long as we are aware of the fact that we cannot cede our responsibility, but we are then sharing it with more people. Which 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 is what my concern was earlier, is that you're you're making the same kind of a cooperation with Empire that the right has been doing. It's just a different form of it. I'm saying sharing with each other, not seeding like I'm not saying sharing with like I'm not saying like share with like the like having to share with the government sh sharing our responsibility, but like as people, we are sharing our responsibility to the least of these. Like we're well, sure, but we're using empire to do it, and that's what's dangerous. Paul walked, the, like you said, Paul walked the Roman roads. Like the system exists. I can't make my own new reality, but I can use this. You can use the system to help people. Like we can try to make it better. Absolutely, right. Pay your taxes, contribute to the government, do all of the things. Just know that what you're doing is cooperating with and working through the systems of the world. And that it will fall again i have no problem with that theology because i'm not trying to say they're going to fix everything but i'm saying because i'm not even trying to go for i think easy it was a bad choice of words on my part but i think because it, it applies abdication of responsibility more like the most efficient way so the way we can help the most people and so the goal is to minimize the suffering of people and to help as many people as we can and i think that's an admirable goal and i think the moment that that when and again, you guys, I have no problem. The moment empire comes into conflict with these things, I'm like, yeah, I this is ridiculous. And I think that's the point is like, there's Daniel was a satrap, <laughs> right? He was well working within the empire at a very high, powerful position, right? Like, we can use that system, like, and we can work within it, but we can also then oppose it when needed. And I think that's the important thing is like, we have to keep that balance there. And I agree, but I'm not saying the balance is like that shouldn't do it because the church should. I'm like, I feel again, I just feel like it's often used disingenuously. So, and yeah, do not think the government's going to fix everything, um, obviously, but I do think that if there are ways that we can help people without compromising on our underpinnings of how we view the nature of like Christianity and the world around us, like I've started laughing about being like a cynical idealist and that I want things to be this way, but I'm also becoming a cynic on how they really are sometimes. Um, this year has been the debate on 
image of God and how frustrating that can be sometimes when you want to like yell at someone because you're like, you're also moved in the image of God. Right. And I, I think that's happening here. It's like, I understand that there's a tension here and I'm okay with the tension existing between how do we function while also not ceding our responsibility and not collaborating with the empire. Right. But how do we also, you know, use the Roman roads, right? It's how do we use what empire, you know, has built and how do we take that? And as people of peace and followers of Jesus step into these roles and yeah, it's not going to be perfect because there is some level of love, like fallenness in this because we're dealing with selfish people and selfish humanity. But there is some level of we can make this less bad. <laughs> we can make it better, right? Because like, yes, all empire is not great, but all empires are actually Nazis, right? There's, and yes, we could talk about America and genocide and all that and whatever, right? But it's like, you know what? We don't actively believe that slavery is okay anymore. And that's because of Christians stepping in and being like, this is what kingdom of God is like. And we are, are where we live should reflect that. And it's like, yeah, it's not going to be perfect, but we have to do that. And that's what I've been trying. That's my point. I, I think I think that Christians can improve the empire. But what we need to be very careful of is of saying that it is empire's responsibility to do the Christian thing. I think it is the role of the Christians within the empire to make the empire look more like less terrible and more like the kingdom. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's for the role of the Christians in the empire to do those good things, sometimes through the mechanisms of the empire, sometimes not. But it is never empire's job. Empire's job is peace through violence. I think, too, one of, one of the biggest problems I have with, like, the whole role of the church versus role of the government is in my uh, formative years as a young lad in the Lutheran church, uh, we started doing, like, a free dinner for the homeless population in my hometown, and uh, the people in the church were outraged. How dare we help these people who deserve uh, what they have decided on in life? And they kicked my pastor out for wanting to help the poor. And I mean, that has just that ruined church for me. And even still, like, I, I don't really like church, to be fully honest. Uh, don't, don't tell people. This isn't a podcast, Mike. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> but that idea of like, there are Christians who do hold that powerful belief of like, they deserve this. And so I, I can't provide because they have deserved, like they deserved or they have chosen, they've deserved to be where they're at. They deserve this spot in life. Anything I do is folly because they're just going to, They've already chosen their pathway and there's nothing but the love of Jesus that can fix it. But then they won't even extend the opportunity to try to reach these people. And that's like the church climate I grew up with. And that's the church climate I kind of see in the town I'm in right now. And it's kind of the church climate I kind of see in uh, the various groups I'm a part of. It's still like this, like people have chosen their path. And it's like the church can do, I guess, can, can help. But at some point, like someone needs to step in and do it because like the churches are doing it. So Mike, there are people in our churches who have chosen the path to believe that that's the case. And it is your job to step in and do the thing to correct them. It's your job to the reach out. Like that's, that's what, that's what I, I want. I want to push and say that that is what 
we have if we're going to say that it's the church's job to do these things why do you think that i lost all of my support in my state in colorado almost right like they don't want to be woken up there's a point where you have to shake the dust off your feet and you're like i tried i've been the watchman on the wall it's on you now i i don't think i'm not i'm not at that point yet i'm not i'm not ready to shake the dust off my feet i'm not i'm not ready to leave these people yet but there's certain people that i've left well that's true too there are a couple but for the most part, I still believe that the church can be the body of Christ and that. And so like you, we have to recognize that being a prophetic voice means coming up against opposition and saying, as Mitt Romney said, the thing to do is to tell these people truth. And I'm using that as a member of the church and saying our job is to point out that throughout the scriptures, from Babel to Babel, that empire is evil. Yeah. And that the church is a mint, the, the people of Israel, Abraham was taken out of Babel. The, the Israel was taking out, taken out of empire. And Jesus takes us out of empire so that we can be the, uh, as the beautiful, beautiful Switchfoot song tells us, we can have a new way to be human. And all of that has to exist, in my opinion, with a clear denunciation of empire in all its forms. And that's really hard. But also, I mean, if we're going to talk about empires in the Bible, I mean, Egypt saved Israel during the famine when God took the bad things that happened to Joseph and made it good. Yeah. And then God saved Israel a second time and help basically fund the second temple when well that whole building project was not under god's blessing listen we don't want to talk about the second temple right now never well uh, there there were other issues with that but even jeremiah tells them to work for the good of babylon right so i think so mike you're exactly right empire saves the physical lives of the people of God at times. And then it puts them under oppression. That's the cycle. Which is what's gonna happen. Gonna happen or already happening? Yes. We need to, as we go into this, we need to recognize that that's what's happening. Because for a long time, we've acted like it's our savior and it's been putting us under oppression. And as, as other factions of the church act, want it to be their savior, it will put us under oppression. And as we do that, as we know that that's what's happening, we work for the good of God's kingdom in the midst of that empire and working through that empire. Anybody have anything else they want to say? Because my recording's at an hour and 58 minutes. Wow. Yeah. We didn't even really talk about insurrection. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Barely Saved Podcast. Make sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes, links, and show notes at barelysavepodcast.com. All right, so uh, goodbye. Bye. 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 Sayonara. I'm glad there's lots of people this week because I'm going to be multitasking for the first little bit because I slept pat through my alarm and I have to finish these emails. That's okay. I I didn't even have an alarm set for today. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sleep as late as I feel like sleeping. So I didn't get up till like nine.